Principal Matters Podcast, episode 337. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about helping leaders improve well-being with my special guest, Dr. Helen Kelly. Helen Kelly is an author, speaker, consultant, and researcher in the field of school well-being and culture. She was a principal in international schools in Asia and Europe for 15 years and has been conducting research in the field of principal and teacher well-being for almost a decade. Prior to becoming a teacher, she spent 10 years as a lawyer in the field of workplace health and safety. From this diverse experience, she brings a unique and valuable perspective to her writing, workshops, and consulting. She works with schools around the world in both the public and private sectors to help them maximize staff well-being and improve workplace culture. She also works with leadership teams and individual leaders to help them make their leadership more sustainable. She's the author of the new book, School Leaders Matter, Preventing Burnout, Managing Stress and Improving Well-Being, published by Rutledge. Helen is from the UK, but is in the process of moving to the West Coast of Ireland. And today she's joining me through Zoom, but sitting in France. Helen Kelly, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. Why don't you fill in the blanks on that intro and tell listeners something else they may be surprised to know about you. Yeah, well, if you're not familiar with my blog or my work, then you won't know that actually I experienced an occupational burnout myself in 2019. So I write, you know, I write and work from the perspective of someone who's a worked in the field of health and safety at work, has been a school principal, but also had it all went wrong for me. Um, So I've got that personal thing to draw upon. Um, So, yeah, that's something people might not know. Well, it's I'm so glad you started there, because with that glowing bio it's so i think important to be transparent with people and say i have been there and one of the reasons i reached out to you helen is because our work just resonates when i came across your new book and i was like dr helen kelly i think is going to be my new friend because so much of the work you do is so much of the work i've done my third book pause pause breathe flourish was written about helping educators discover stronger well-being and so i've spent a lot of time with teachers and principals too having these same conversations and shared my own story of when i was a young administrator and almost left the career um, because of of burnout too so let's um let's dig deep here for just a moment into your work and your life and if we if we go off script it's okay too but i just wanted to first of all start with a little bit of your story you spent a career practicing law before becoming an educator, and then you served in international settings. So I'm just really curious, how has your time in different career paths provided you perspective that's been helpful as you worked with school leaders considering their own practice? Yeah, I think it took me a while really, you know, to to just acknowledge that my first career as a lawyer was actually pertinent to this and had actually driven my interest in this area. And I think it's, I realize now that we need to treat stress in the workplace in the same way that we treat other health and safety risks. And at the moment, we're not really doing that. And so it gives me that perspective, I think. The the international school thing um, also, I think, brought something quite unique um, in where I, you know, where I am at now. In the in my second principalship, um, which was from seven years to ten years, 
I started to understand much more about the emotional demands of the school leader's role. Mm -hmm. And there's an awful lot talked and an awful lot of research, you know, going back five, six decades about quantitative workload, you know, the amount of volume of work that we have to shift every day, but not really as much written about how emotionally demanding the work is. Now, the reason that my international school career was pertinent to that is that when you're an international school leader, you're responsible for this community who is effectively living away from home. They're living away from their support network. And so the school and you as the principal becomes that support network, you know, for staff, students and parents. And so that's a whole different ball game. Um, to the one that we experience in in the domestic setting. Um, and so, you know, I'm not saying that there isn't a huge emotional element to all school leaders work, but I think that it is amped up in an international school environment. And so I think those two um, experiences as, as a lawyer and as an international school leader have brought, you know, some valuable perspectives to me. Mm. I'm curious, and and this is a um, a question that I'm going to ask, and then I'll tell a story before I give you a chance to respond. But I'm curious, as you've looked at the research surrounding educator well-being, and, and especially working with school leaders, what you've discovered, because I was, um, and I'm going to talk about a conversation here that um, was with a different friend of mine, but I was in a conversation with uh Dr. Brooke Tuttle, she's the um, director of a family resilience program with Oklahoma State University, and she's done some research into um, um, law enforcement, military career, um, first responders in the concept of how they manage what she would call moral injury, where they're involved in situations where they see other people or sometimes they even have to inflict um, decisions on other people that cause harm or that might be disruptive or injurious. And some of them wrestle very deeply with the, the, the their own moral injury of how do I reconcile the responsibilities and duties of my work with some of the things, some of the outcomes. For instance, if I'm a fighter pilot and I'm dropping a bomb, I don't always know exactly what happened after I did that bomb. And this is such a weird application, Helen, but um, I, I, I have a hard time not making this application. I don't have the research to back this up, but I often, when I'm working with leaders, sometimes I I almost want to stop and say, um, I'm just curious sometimes how moral injury plays into the roles that we have as leaders, because sometimes we are stepping into situations, not like law enforcement, for instance, but situations where we see people in crisis, or we're managing the death of, of, of a teacher or a student, or we're managing some of the hardest situations that families have ever been through. And there has to be something emotionally that happens to a leader when they're consistently wrestling through those tragedies and difficulties with other leaders. And so I, I, I didn't plan to go there in this conversation, but I'm just really curious in your work, um, what, what you've seen and in, in, as you studied the stress and the workloads that leaders are facing. Yeah, I mean, it isn't just about what I've seen, Will. There is a fair amount of good research on this. And there's a whole chapter in the first part of my book about the emotional demands. And I go into these elements. So I think there are three things that I think are worth mentioning where there's good research. Um, one is about emotional labor. 
So emotional labor is an overused term these days, but actually it was uh, first researched in the 1970s, actually with flight attendants who are working in high pressure environments, but have to look like they're always in control and they're smiling and they're pushing down their emotions. And they're also faking emotions. And what we know from the research is that that happens with school leaders. So we're having to pretend a lot of the time and that uh, we know from the research can lead to emotional exhaustion, which is a component of burnout. Mm. The next thing is, and there's a good friend and former colleague of mine, Dr. Rachel Briggs, who's recently started working in this field in the UK, in what they're now calling compassion stress injury. And this is a reframing of the old compassion fatigue, you know, where we're working so much with individuals um, who, who are um, experiencing trauma in their lives and we're supporting them. And over time that can have an impact on us. You know, I think that the other component of this, of course, is that it's slightly different to fighter pilots because we um, as school leaders have all been teachers once, most of us. Mm -hmm. And we go into that because we're a certain type of human being. We, we're caring and we want to support others. And we that, that when we have to do hard things, you know, um, like um, disciplinary procedures and, you know, all of those stuff that all of that stuff that a school leader's job involves, that also takes an emotional toll on us because actually that's it, it's against our nature, as it were, mm -hmm. as in a caring profession. And so I think those three elements all kind of um, feed into the reason why the emotional component of the work can be so demanding for us in our roles. So I'm a person that loves to summarize what I've just heard. So emotional labor, compassion, yeah. stress, injury. Yeah. And what was that? What was that third area, Helen, that you said? Well, it's just the fact that um, we, we don't, we don't go into leaders in many other um, professions. They're not necessarily in a caring profession. They might have become, um, you know, they might work in industry or they might work in um, in commerce, you know, they could work in anything and they become a leader. And yes, of course, having to do hard things as a leader, like make, um, you know, dismiss people for competency issues or, you know, all the all the kinds of hard things we have to do, the dirty work, we call it, that we have to do as a leader is not easy for anyone. But for people who've come into their profession as teachers, because they are caring and they're primarily driven by the need to care for others, doing that dirty work is actually more challenging and places more demands. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I'm just going to be um, transparent with my previous experience in the secondary level. Who would have ever thought with a master's degree in, in educational leadership that at some point in my career... I would spend a part of my day with school nurses conducting urine tests to see what drug a child might be have taken at my school. So those kinds of things where you're suddenly you're like, well, how did I get here? How did this, I get? How here? did I get here in this work? Where, which is an important part of my responsibility to make sure kids are safe and to work with families. But it is hard. It is emotionally draining to be in situations where you're right. where you're managing a a a a work that's focused on the care for others while also having to exercise those harder parts of your job 
that that for lack of a better word are, are the dirty work of those now your new book focuses on several areas that concern the stress and the workloads of school leaders and so and you've already begun to touch on this but i'm just curious as you as you talk with with educators what are the things that you help them see that are causing burnout and how can they recognize it and prevent it yeah okay that's a big question so again there's a lot of research on this everything that i do is evidence-based not just based on my own research but on the body of research that's gone before me and that's really important to me because i think there's a lot of naysayers out there and the way that we win the round is with this hard evidence you know people who are much more clever than me who've dedicated their lives and careers to this are saying so so what we know is that, first of all, I think the first thing that's important to emphasize is that burnout isn't an on or off thing. Burnout is a continuum. And we all move up and down that continuum through our careers. All educators do, depending on the demands that we're experiencing and how we're coping with those demands at any given time. And that will change for us. So our job will change and we will change our personal circumstances. And that will influence how we move up and down the continuum. So at one end of the continuum, we have what they call engagement. And that's where we all want to be. We start our careers there and we want to stay there as much as possible. And then at the other end of the continuum, we have burnout. And in between, we have three other profiles. And um, those other profiles are overextended and disengaged and then ineffective. And once all three of those things have happened, we reach burnout. So what we want to do is put is understand that and put things in place to ensure that we're staying at that engaged end. And I find that continuum very helpful when I'm working with schools, especially with naysayers, because the word burnout is quite scary for people. So it's understanding that I'm not suggesting all of your staff are burnt out. What I'm suggesting is we're all on that continuum somewhere. But the word well-being also can feel a bit nebulous for some people, whereas the concept of burnout and the research behind it is very concrete. And so I use that. So what we also know from the research is that um, there are what they call six areas of work life that can contribute to you moving along that burnout continuum. And those six areas um, are community, workload, control, fairness, rewards and values. And, you know, I go into a lot of detail about this in the book. And what we know is that Burnout occurs when there's a mismatch between what you need as an individual and what the workplace is providing for you in one or more of those areas. And what we know for school leaders is that the most significant of those areas is community. So where school leaders are experiencing a mis mismatch between the community, the relationships, the support that they need and what they're receiving in their workplace, that is the most significant cause of burnout. But then the others for school leaders are workload, which you wouldn't be surprised to hear, and then control is the next one. So not having sufficient autonomy over their work. And that might be because they're not being provided with autonomy by their supervisors if they're in a school where there's a board or you know, governors or whatever, or because of high, high stakes accountability to kind of mm. you know external government. And so um those three areas are the most significant that cause burnout. And we know that burnout has occurred when we become exhausted 
which is beyond tired. And in my book, you know, it sets out the symptoms of that. And we've become disengaged from our work. So we've become cynical. We don't feel that personal connection anymore. We don't believe in what we're doing anymore. We don't feel supportive of the stakeholders around us. And, and we've also become ineffective. And that's when we know that we have burnt out. Wow. Okay. So I'm a visual learner. So I'm looking at this continuum yep. that you talked about with engagement on one end of the arrow and burnout on the other. Yeah. And then in between those, I've got those three areas, those dimensions overextended. Yeah. What was the second? Exhausted? Disengaged. No, Disengaged. the first one overextended is when you become exhausted. You're exhausted, okay. but you don't have the other things. Then you become disengaged. So that's the cynicism and depersonalization and ineffective. And they don't necessarily um, move in one direction. You sure. know, it, it's not quite as simple as that. You know, it's, it's a model to help people understand, but it doesn't necessarily always go right. that way. No, but um, I love that. And I, and I love how you bring that full circle back to how those areas of your work life reflect where you are on that continuum. So yeah. community, work life, control, fairness, reward, and values. Support for Principal Matters comes from Summer Pops Math Workbooks. For my listeners serving grades two through seven, here's a message from our friend Pete over at Summer Pops Math Workbooks. Demand is high this year. And if you wanna order Summer Pops for your students, you need to place your order soon. If you've not contacted Summer Pops, you should do it this week. Principal Matters listeners can work with Pete directly. His email is pete at betterlearningeducation.com or visit their website, summerpopsworkbooks.com to learn more. Summer Pops are designed for your students to practice math over the summer. Engaging, easy to use, and content rich. I've had the privilege to review these workbooks and they are excellent resources. Thank you to Pete for being a guest on episode 336 and sharing the story of how Summer Pops were designed specifically for helping students like yours retain and grow their math skills over the summer. Summer is almost here, so visit summerpopsworkbooks.com today. Support for Principal Matters comes from Peer Driven PD. Let me paint a picture for you and see if you can relate. You look at your calendar and you see it's time to prep for your next PD day. And you know that you and your teachers have a lot of shared knowledge and experience, but wouldn't it be nice to have a gold mine of high quality PD at your fingertips so that your teachers could access it at any time and anywhere? Well, there is some help. Go to peerdrivenpd.com and find a library of films with some of the best teachers in the country talking about their tips and techniques that really work in real classrooms. This isn't just engaging for your teachers and helpful for you. It's really strong content that's going to increase student learning and improve relationships with kids. So if you want your teachers to love their PD and learn strategies that are tested and proven by their peers in real classrooms, visit peerdrivenpd.com to request a quote today. Be sure to let them know that Principal Matters sent you and Mike will include a package of complimentary resources specifically for administrators. That's peerdrivenpd.com. stay there for for a little bit if yeah. it, as 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 a leader who's trying to understand because this is so interesting helen because you're talking about the science yeah of of emotion really of of yeah. how of all these emotions that we're that we're dealing with 
when you look at it from that perspective, then what advice do you have for leaders in terms of of prevention um, when they can take a step back and, and try to figure out where they are in that continuum? Yeah. So the first thing that I really haven't emphasized enough yet, Will, the first thing to be aware of is that all of the research shows that burnout is primarily a workplace condition. It is not the fault of the individual. And I cannot impress that upon people, you know, more strongly. Um, So the best way to deal with this, to prevent burnout, is to change the working conditions and therefore schools and, you know, governments, loosely termed, local, central, whatever, are the, the, you know, the the, the, um, organisations, institutions, people who have primary responsibility for that, you know. Nevertheless, there are tools that school leaders can use to help them to establish and evaluate where they are on that continuum and which of those areas of work life are problematic for them. Mm-hmm. Um, in As an, a companion to my book, in the next month, I'm going to be launching a workshop where we'll I provide people with those tools so that they can understand exactly where they are themselves. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that people need to do is understand the work demands and then try to address those work demands by bringing them back in balance and they need the school's help with that the second thing is to understand work recovery so we've got demands and recovery and work recovery is much more in our own hands isn't it and again this is all research based with some very very concrete research um coming up coming out of europe going back a couple of decades on this concept of work recovery. So what that shows is that in order to recover effectively from work, you need to have four experiences and you need to have those four experiences on a regular basis and frequent basis. So they are, and the most important is psychological detachment. So you as a school leader need to be switching off from work. And we might come back to that in a minute because it is very important. The next one is relaxation, which we're all much more familiar with. Next one is control. So especially for parents or um, children of um, elderly parents or whatever, you need to have some control over how you spend your free time rather than you're just having it dictated to you by your family's needs, you know. And the last one, which is also interesting, is mastery experiences. So it isn't enough to just switch off and relax and spend your time as you want to get maximum benefit from your work recovery. You need to be doing something which is giving you a sense of achievement, but isn't connected to your work. And typical mastery experiences are things that get progressively more difficult. So they would be learning an instrument, learning a language, you know, running running triathlons or, you know, yoga, something that becomes progressively more difficult where you're getting that dopamine hit of reward from it, but it's not connected to your work. So that's something that school leaders have much more control over than they do over their working conditions. And so that's normally the starting point for them. Wow. Um, Dr. Helen Kelly, I, I'm just sitting here soaking in the not this is so rich. And so before I even get to the last couple of questions and wrap up the show, I'm just going to tell school leaders right now that you need to jump over to whatever wherever you buy your books and look up School Leaders Matter Preventing Burnout, Managing Stress, and Improving Well-Being, published by Rutledge by Dr. Helen. Kelly, because I can't get enough of this. Um, 
so let me let me just stay there for a moment because yeah. psychological detachment, relaxation, control, mastering experiences. Yeah. Um, I I just what I love about about the applications that you're making is how true they have been to the experiences that I've seen for leaders who are thriving in their work. Me too. So when I, I'll, I'll give you a, a funny example. Last week I was at a conference for middle level and secondary leaders, and I came down in the morning and walked into the small workout room that was in the hotel. And there were a couple of people in there early. This was early morning, by the way, like five o'clock, because that's when yeah. I usually get up. And 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 there were a couple of people in there that were exercising. And and I'm not trying to like in any way at all say this as a comparison again, a, like contrasting others. I'm just saying the people that were in that room, when I walked in, I looked and I was like, wow, these are some of the highest performing leaders I know. Yeah. Oh, and oh, they're also starting their morning down here, you know, exercising and sweating and getting their day started. And so there, and, and I know a lot of other leaders who who figured out mastery experiences that aren't necessarily exercise. It may be something else. It may be a, mu- a musical instrument. It might be that they fig- that they that they're writing books. It may be that they're yeah. sailing ships. It may be that they're riding their bikes across the U.S. on tour. But whatever it is. Um, I, I so appreciate that you've, that you've brought those things back to, if we want to be effective in our work, we have to figure out how to be effective in our lives, um, because those this two stay connected. Anything you want to add to that before I ask? Yeah, you there is. And I'm glad that you asked. So what the research also shows, Will, is that, um, the weekend only lasts till Tuesday. So there's no point in, as many school leaders do, thinking I'll push through to the weekend or I'll push through to the vacation. The benefits of the weekend last till Tuesday. Therefore, we need to be having these experiences in the weekend, in the week, weekday evenings as well. Mm-hmm. And what we also know is that the vacation only lasts around about two weeks. So there's no point in just pushing through to the vacation. One last thing on this, which always fascinates people and makes them smile, but when they try it, they realize it works, is the research also shows that you need to experience this during the working day. And micro breaks, as short as 40 seconds, can actually be highly beneficial to our work recovery. So that might be just staring out of the window at a beautiful tree. It might be going onto our phone and playing Candy Crush or whatever in our office for 40 seconds, talking to a colleague about something that isn't related to work. Mm -hmm. Just for 40 seconds, if you have five or six of those 40 second breaks in a day, it can be actually quite transformative. Um, so yeah, it, it's about fre- frequent and regular. Well, your book is full of strong coping strategies too. So let me just give you a moment to share a few. What are some coping strategies that you suggest for leaders who might be listening, even as they're listening right now, they're like, I've been feeling overwhelmed. So Dr. Kelly, what would be some other suggestions you might give them? Yeah, well, it's the work recovery thing is the most important and the psychological detachment is the most important of those. So what we know is that most people feel that switching off is their greatest barrier to, you know, to to recovering from work and improving their well-being. So it's just honestly, Will, some quite simple things work. It's about creating those homeschool boundaries. Mm -hmm. The research shows that some people actually are what they call integrators where they prefer work and home to be integrated rather than the separators who prefer it to be separated however the research also shows that the separators have better well-being than the integrators so it's about creating those boundaries 
And there are many ways in which we can do that. One of the things that um, works really well for people that I support is putting in place rituals that demarcate the end of the working day and the beginning of the work recovery period, the non separating the work and non-work time. And that can be as simple as, you know, putting on a nice podcast on your way home from work in the car that's not connected with work, getting home, having a shower and changing out of your work clothes. Mm -hmm. You know, something as simple as that can, can make a difference. Also eliciting the support of other people to help you to switch off. So speaking with your colleagues and helping them to understand that two evenings a week, you're going to put the phone in the drawer and you're not going to be looking at your WhatsApp messages or whatever it is that you use, because those are your work recovery evenings. Um, asking your family for help with that is also important. There's also research to show that if you're one of these people and most school leaders are who tend to ruminate and rumination is very, very damaging to our health. So if you're one of those people that worries a lot about the work and feels guilt when you get home, one of the best things you can do is before you leave work, you make a plan, simple five minutes of what work, the work that's unfinished, when you're going to finish it, where and how. Not just this is a to-do list, but a how I'm going to do it, when I'm going to do it, where I'm going to do it. And if you spend five or 10 minutes doing that before you leave school, that can have quite a transformational, you know, impact on you. So just some small things there, but there are, you know, a bunch of those ideas. I love that. And I know that one of your suggestions also in is sleep. Because, sleep is everything. Yeah, because the, the power of rest yeah. Um, can be in, in building rituals around that can be super important too. I, I, I this is so, this is so encouraging, Dr. Kelly. So, you know, as we wrap up, I, I do want to give principal matters uh, listeners an opportunity to stay connected with you. And, um, and also just to also be aware of any additional thoughts or ideas that you had that I didn't ask about in terms of your new book and the, and the work you're doing. So what are some parting words of advice that you would have for leaders and how can they stay connected with you? Yeah, well, I think parting words of advice really are, first of all, your well-being matters. You know, it makes a difference to your school community and you will be more effective at your job. So if you don't care about your own well-being for your own benefit or the benefit of your family because you're crazy about your role, it makes you more effective at your job if you look after your well-being. And while schools need to be more strategic about this, you know, we can wait around forever for that to happen. So what we need to do is reframe the idea of self-care, which has also become, you know, a little bit of a mm, uncomfortable word or phrase that people don't like to use because they think by talking about self-care, we're helping schools to abnegate their responsibility towards leaders. But what we're also doing is allowing leaders to take control. So if we think about self-care as being a core leadership attribute and an investment in our school community, then not only can us can us school leaders, um, you know, take that on board and stop feeling embarrassed and guilty and a failure because we need it, but schools can also be encouraging us to take care of ourselves because they also see it as an investment in the community. Mm, I love that. I'm watching the clock because I want to wrap this up soon, Dr. Kelly, but I can't leave this conversation without asking you 
something a little more personal. When you think back in your own experience, um, can you share a story of how you had to learn how to apply this in your own work? You've done so much research and your takeaways are so rich, but how, how, how has this looked in your own life? It's interesting, Will, because I think that I did so many of the right things. However, one the, the, something we haven't touched on, which is a chapter in my book, is about self-sabotage behaviours. Mm. And when I eventually burned out and I looked back and, you know, although I'm a I'm a yoga teacher trainer and I, you know, I have a plant based diet and I get plenty of sleep and I used to leave school at four o'clock every day and I did so many of the right things you know I exercise but I still burnt out and when I look back I realized that for me some of that was I, I was experiencing all imbalances in all six areas of the of work life so there was a lot going on in the you know in the work environment and the working conditions no doubt but I had some unhealthy behaviors um, that sabotaged me and some one of those was validation seeking mm. you know so I was seeking validation too much so I was pushing myself too hard too many qualifications you know the masters and the doctorate and then speaking at conferences you know so I was doing too much and I needed to take a step back and realize that I couldn't carry on doing that and unfortunately I learned the hard way and I lost my career and I've found a wonderful new one now where I have an amazing balance that I did not know before actually existed. Wow. I thought I was having a balance. And now when I look back, it wasn't a balance. I loved my job too much. A job lover, lover is another self-sabotage behavior. And some of that comes through wanting to make a difference, values-driven leadership, servant leader. I was abnegating my own needs to the needs of my community. So I'm able to identify those behaviors in myself and make sure I don't go down that path this time. Mm. Um, and I think that that's helpful, you know, but also I'm my own boss. So I'm not being forced into working conditions that are, you know, too demanding. And I make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, thank you for going there because I think that's, I think your story is one that other leaders are going to resonate with as well in the ways that we've done it right and the ways that we've done it wrong. And in the, what I always try to remind leaders of when I'm working with them too, is that um, balance, I believe is, uh, is, is not the correct term to shoot for. I think it's, I think it's um, unrealistic to think that we're ever going to achieve perfect balance. But what I like to encourage people to do is think of, of the importance of consistent reflection on those uh, revisiting those things that you know are going to be healthy choices, healthy cycles. Yeah. Um, and, and I also like how you mentioned this earlier too. Don't wait until the vacation or the weekend to revisit yeah. those because if you're it only has, waiting, yeah. It has to be embedded in your life. You're absolutely yeah. right. And I think probably that, you know, the last thing I think it's really important to say to people, especially when you think about those self-sabotage behaviors that I indulged in, is that the goal is to sustain this for the period of a career, not to get through this year or this semester. And a career can be decades. And so we have to pace ourselves. And I, that's where I got it wrong. I fell off a cliff. Mm. You know? Dr. So Kelly, how can, how can listeners stay connected with you and your wonderful work? 
Yeah, so I hang out on LinkedIn a lot. I have 13,000 followers, so people can find me there. Just Dr. Helen Kelly, you'll find me. I also, um, on Facebook, Dr. Helen Kelly, you can also uh, email me. I love hearing from people, helen at drhelenkelly.com. And I also have a website, www.drhelenkelly.com. And um, as I mentioned, um, in addition to my book, which is available for pre-order now on Amazon and other places, um, it is released on the 28th of February. I'm also going to be um, in within the next few days advertising my first workshop, which is called Sustaining Your Leadership and is a companion to the book that I really hope is going to help people. It will be available online so people from all over the world can can take part. Well, Principal Matters listeners, you are listening to this podcast somewhere at the end of March, which is when this is going to come out. So this book is there and ready to grab. Be. And so you got to hear it. Um, the, you got to hear us talk about it before it was, but you're going to hear this uh, released late March. So reach out right now and grab a copy of School Leaders Matter, Preventing Burnout, Managing Stress and Improving Well-Being by Dr. Helen Kelly. Dr. Helen Kelly, thank you so much for taking time to invest so much rich knowledge and application that can help educators and school leaders. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you for taking time to listen today and to learn because what you do matters. And we'll talk to you again soon. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about Leadership Academies, Mastermind Offerings, and Executive Coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today, and thanks again for doing what